Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, are you thankful to be at church this morning? Yeah. Who's here this morning and you have yet to meet anybody nice? Just check it. So many smiling, kind folks here this morning. I'm just thankful that uh, we can be a part of it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. Talking about... uh, Christmas now. We've, we've uh, turned the corner from uh, deep and messy last week to light and fluffy, all right? Are you ready for some happy thoughts? As you're turning there, uh, Luke chapter 2, I just want to remind you of two things. You saw them. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but the prayer and praise night, I really do think one of the uh, key things that is happening at our church is the prayer and praise night. I believe it's driving ministry forward. We're not only praying for each other, Uh, But we're concerned about those folks that we are praying for. Uh, Those individuals are being, uh, folks are reaching out to them. They're connecting with them. Uh, We're seeing God do amazing things as we pray uh, for different aspects of what's happening in our church and in our community. And so if you come, you're going to be encouraged this week uh, by that prayer time, the praise uh, that we lift up together. Uh, And even though your small groups and other ministries are not happening, uh, this is part of our plan as a church. We we pause those other ministries so that we can gather together here in this room. And uh, just like last time, we'll have the edges set up for families. Uh, Bring all your little ones here. It's a family time, Uh, but we're going to pray for each other. All right. Also, Elsinore. Uh, some folks have told me that you tried to get a ticket, but it was full. Yeah? Anybody in that category? Just one? Okay. Well, we're making room for you on Monday, all right? Monday, we are making room. We have a little bit of extra space. Uh, Thursday night's full. Friday's uh, pretty close. But here's the request that I would have for you also. If on, on uh, just because you're a good planner, if it's possible that you book two nights wondering which night your family was actually going to commit to. I don't know if your family has trouble committing like mine does at times. You might have just planned ahead. Uh, In the event that you now know which night they are coming to and those tickets are free, if you would do us a ginormous favor and call the Elsinore, let them know that you're releasing some tickets, it'll help other people get in the door. Uh, It's an awesome thing uh, that that place is filled up. Amen? It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and it's going to be an amazing two nights, but we want to make sure that those seats are uh, full with folks that are uh, eager to be there. So Monday, there will be more tickets available. Uh, Make sure that you get those online. If you need help figuring that out, you can call the office, but our primary contact is going to be through Elsinore, and all that information is on the website. So public service announcement is over. Let's look at Christmas. I don't know if... uh, if you are like this, um, you take a look at Christmas, but there's all these different emotions that can come up during Christmas. And most of them are good. Most of them are good. I, I think uh, as we consider what's happening with family and around the world, we have to be aware that in the room, there are going to be some folks that are having a hard time at Christmas. 
But Christmas isn't just a time that is filled with excitement and anticipation. It is also a time where we learn something and our perception gets heightened. Uh, I, I've read a few different uh, authors that were talking about the season when I was growing up and just a little bit older, but I don't know if your parents did this. I, uh, I know that I may have at one time or another received a couple of Christmas gifts wrapped as a Christmas gift underneath the Christmas tree, but uh, what was wrapped up was actually socks or underwear. Anybody done that? Yeah? And your parents thought, well, hey, here's another way to get more gifts underneath the tree. And your perception as a kid, you already know, uh, if that present is already under the tree like three weeks early, good chance it's socks. <laughs> All right? You know where the hidden gift is kept. You know about the size of the gift you were hoping to get. You know uh, the gift that you had gone into your parents' room and shook the box so you could tell what kind of Legos it was or whatever it is that uh, you wanted to, uh, to have. But you have perception. You are, no, you are aware of what it is you're actually looking for, the shape. And even though it comes in a different wrapping, you're aware what's inside is what I've been looking for. We're going to look at a man this morning who saw a package arrive there at the temple. It was Jesus. Not wrapped like everybody had assumed, but he knew what he was looking for and he was there to receive him. And his rejoicing is recorded for us in Luke chapter two. His name is Simeon. Let's stand and read just this section. Christ has already been born. They've already gone and celebrated his birth. They're coming back now to uh, consecrate him. And in verse 25, somebody greets them at the temple as Jesus is being presented. And it says this, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. How awesome would that be? Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise of many in Israel, the fallen rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Do you believe that's true, that that actually happened? You may be seated. We're just going to take a look at a couple of things that uh, Simeon did in this passage, a couple of things this morning that I want us to be aware of. Um, but I also want us to consider in our own life whether or not these things are true. Three things. Once again, because it's a sermon, three points and then we're free. First thought I want you to see in here, waiting requires maturity. There was uh, 
deep theologian that made this observation. He said one of the special gifts of Christmas that really makes it great are the insomnia and anxiety that kids get from having to wait, as Garfield the cat. Why can we highlight the anxiety and the concerns for little kids? Because hopefully we grow in maturity and grow out of that, right? But how many of us still spend time at Christmas anxious and overwhelmed? We go from concerned about whether or not we're going to get the gift to concerned about are we going to be able to make sure everybody gets the gifts? We're worried about whether or not all uh, the gift giving is even, right? As if kids have a secret abacus hidden in their bedroom, keeping score, I should say computer. <laughs> waiting requires maturity. Here's a man that has been waiting for a long period of time, and it actually says this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for Israel's consolation. Righteous and devout, two different words. Um, righteousness has to do with his interaction with mankind. Here was a man that in all of his activity acted right towards other people, and God saw it. Righteousness has to do with this outward appearance, the connections with other people, the things that you are called to do. Devout has to do with his relationship with God. He was righteous, relationship towards others. Devout, relationship toward God. In everything that he did, he was focused on the Lord, and God allowed him to see the Messiah. But before we get off of that, I want you to understand that righteousness requires a decision. Being devout requires a decision. There's a time when we are kids and we're allowed to be anxious, we're allowed to be worried about things and our parents tell us what it is we're supposed to think in order to think rightly, what it is we're supposed to focus on in order to be safe. They direct our thinking, but there's a time where we have to decide what we are going to do. We have to decide what it is we're gonna focus on and in those decisions, maturity comes. Oscar Wilde has famously said, old age and wisdom walk together, but sometimes old age comes alone. It's also noted that old age comes naturally, but wisdom is pursued. We naturally get old, but we don't naturally get wise. There's a decision that has to be made. We've shared the story about the beginning of the Navigators and some of the men uh, that actually were sent out. World War II, Navigators had begun as a little Bible study in a gas station uh, right before a bunch of uh, men in the Navy had shipped out to uh, Hawaii around the time of December. One of the men uh, tells his, uh, a famous story about uh, being in a Bible study, one of those Bible studies, and being challenged right before Pearl Harbor happened. It was on the USS West Virginia. December 6th, uh, Roy Robertson is uh, saying this. He said, I, I went to a Bible study and the leader of the group asked every single man that was at the Bible study, hey, how many of you have been in church? And all of them raised their hands. Said, how long have you been in church? And most of them said, we grew up in church. And he said, all right, so tonight what we're going to do is just we're going to take a few moments and talk about what is the most meaningful verse in the Bible to you. What's the verse that keeps coming up to you? And they were going around uh, the circle sharing that verse. But he was struck at that moment that at 19 years old, he had grown up in the church, he had gone to Sunday school, he had been a part of the programs, he had been a part of their youth ministry, 
And in all of those years, he had not memorized a single verse. There was not one verse that was in his mind that he could recall. And finally, about three men uh, from it uh, coming around the circle to him, he remembers John 3.16. And the guy sitting next to him says, John 3.16. And he goes, oh, he stole my verse. (laughs) He was dejected. In fact, he said he hung his head that night and he said, Robertson, you've been a fake. The next morning, still under conviction, he awoke to sirens. He found out that uh, over 300 uh, planes from the Japanese fleet were actually coming at them to attack them. They were under attack in Pearl Harbor. It was a shocking moment. They run to their battle stations. He gets up to uh, man the gun that he was supposed to be firing. But all they had on deck at the time, all they had near him in order to load in were dummy rounds. They were fake shells. They were empty because they had just been doing practice rounds and they had to find somebody to go and get live ammunition. So he said for the first 15 minutes of that attack, as shells are hitting all around him, as the the boat is being attacked, he is firing blanks at the enemy, just hoping he'll get one of them to swerve or go off target or miss. 15 minutes. And he says, the entire time that I'm firing that gun, aiming at these folks, shooting blanks, he says, Robertson, this is what you've been doing for Jesus all of these years. You've just been firing blanks with absolutely no direction or thought. He made a commitment in his heart. He said, if I get out of this, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. Now, how many men have been foxhole converts? But in fact, At that moment, he made a commitment in his heart. He began to memorize scripture and he became the first missionary for the Navigators, a group that is known for memorizing scripture and sharing their life one-on-one. He got out of the Navy and he went into ministry and he never looked back. He became aware in a dire moment that he needed to focus his life on Christ, not himself. Quit firing blanks. Maturity... Wisdom is a decision. Waiting, in Simeon's case, required maturity, and he'd already showed that he was righteous and devout. But another thing that's important with waiting is waiting requires confidence. It's not just that you're able to be patient. and You can get dropped off on the corner and somebody could say, wait, and you might not know what you're waiting for or what it is you're focused on. That's going to be super hard to concentrate on just waiting on the corner. Unless they say, I'm coming back. But even then, you've got to trust your companion. Here is Simeon waiting, and he's waiting for something specific, and the terms that he is using, the things that he is waiting for, are identified in Scripture. It says that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Consolation, a word there, literally a moment where the heart and circumstances are lifted up. Specifically, what Simeon was waiting for was a moment when the Lord would come, the Messiah Uh, would be revealed and his people would be elevated. And he was clinging not to what the circumstances looked like around him. He wasn't looking at everything that was happening uh, in Judea, in Israel at that time. He was looking to the Lord. It requires confidence. Notice his prayer or his statement that he shouts, the praise that he shouts. In verse 29, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. 
Imagine you're an older gentleman and you've been waiting for this and your heart has been captivated with scripture and you just know that it's going to happen and the spirit of God has told you, you're going to see this before you die. He's saying, Lord, you can release me. This is it. What's it based on? For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. He begins to quote scripture. He had memorized it. Uh, In your notes, it has uh, 46, 6 through 13. It's actually Isaiah 49, 49, 6 through 13. And I just want you to hear this. This is part of his praise. I left a little trail for you there. There's a couple of other statements. Uh, He's not just making one quote out of the Old Testament. What Simeon does at this moment is he just shouts out praise, all of these things that have been flooding his mind. But this is the thing that is shocking to me, that is beautiful. Everything that Simeon shouts that he says in front of Jesus's parents are things that were already in scripture that Jesus later would use, that he would develop and say, this was speaking about me. He does that before Jesus ever tells anyone, this is what is about me. He quotes, in part, Isaiah 49. I want you to listen to 6 through 13. It says this. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up, consoling the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One says to one who is despised to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see, princes will stand up, they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, I will answer you in a time of favor. I will help you in the day of salvation. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land, to make them possess the desolate inheritances saying to prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, show yourself. They will feed along the pathways. Their pastures will be on on all the barren heights. They will no longer hunger or thirst. The scorching heat or sun won't strike them for their compassionate one will guide them and lead them to springs. I'll make all of my mountains into a road and my highways will be raised up. See, These things will come from far away, from the north and from the west, from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, you heavens. Earth, rejoice. Mountains, break into joyful shouts. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. It's a passage of consolation, but it's a consolation that is based on a Messiah coming, changing their circumstances and saving them forever. He knew what he was looking for. The Spirit always guides us to Jesus, and he does it specifically through the word. Here is this man, and he wasn't just looking for something random. He hadn't just heard a whisper on the wind. He was reading scripture, and the Lord revealed to him, you're going to see this man while you still live. And he looked for it all of his days. He had confidence. In Jesus, we can have confidence. Are you aware of that? It's not just that Simeon would see the Lord and see a savior who would come to him, but you and I actually worship a God who comes to us. We tend to wander, 
not stay focused. Jesus comes to us. This last week for the Senior Saints, we, uh, which by the way, we had an amazing time. If you're a Senior Saint, thank you for being there. We had about a billion of them. It was awesome. The most wonderful group uh, really on the earth. They're just the, the best. But we read this together and it struck me and I decided to read it again this morning. Eugene Peterson, uh, writing in a devotional, wrote this statement about Jesus coming to us. He says, God comes to us. He's not an object at the center of the universe. He's not a fixed point on an astronomer's map of heaven. He is active and moving. And this movement has direction. He comes to us. God doesn't wander around window shopping from galaxy to galaxy, juggling the moons of Jupiter and casually admiring the rings of Saturn. We are his destination. And he didn't simply come once and then return to spend the rest of eternity like an old tourist telling stories of his trip and boring the angels with slides of his visit. He came, he comes, and he is going to come again. We know what to expect when he comes and comes again because we know exactly what happened when he came to us in Jesus. And Jesus, at his ascension, promised that he would come again. The Christian life is lived between those two comings. He came and he will come. To believe and serve a God who comes, who lives in a world to which God comes, what does that mean? This is the expectant believer's task to clarify that question, to celebrate it, to live heartily and hopefully in response to the God who comes to us. Will we live slovenly? with unbuttoned minds and disheveled spirits, thoughtlessly supposing that the same thing will forever monotonously be repeated over and over again in creation and in history? Or will we live alertly, ardently, convinced that God continues to come to us and will come to us again in Jesus? Will we believe that in expectantly waiting for his coming, being hospitable to his arrival, that we are getting the most out of life. Now, I know that's a long quote, but I think it's worth our attention. Do you actually believe it's worth it to wait for Jesus to come again? Is there something in your life that is still busy preparing for his return, thoughtfully living in the world and announcing his arrival? Is there something different in you as you prepare to see him? Scripture says there should be. And in Simeon, we actually see somebody who had prepared himself to see Jesus, and God said, you'll see him. Waiting requires confidence. That confidence comes from the word. But the final thing I want you to see is that waiting requires vigilance. Simeon stayed alert, not to his plan, not to his thoughts. He wasn't searching all the world for things that he thought he could tweak or move or fix. He stayed alert for the activity of God, God's plan. Not man finally getting it right, not somebody else stepping in and forcing their way, but God on the move in a way that only God could move. And that required vigilance. Notice the details. It says he was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He begins to quote scripture 
Simeon had gone through his list and he said, this is where the Messiah will be born. This is the kind of person that will have him. This is the tribe that he's going to be coming from. This is when I should be able to see him. The spirit of God had said, look at these scriptures, look at these identifying marks and I will show you the couple. But he was vigilant to see what God had prepared. The question is, are we? There was a uh, company a short while ago, Taylor and Sons, a Welsh company. Um, there's a, a reporting uh, bureau within their um, nation uh, that would tell people whether or not people were solvent or not so that you knew where you could invest. And somebody had made a mistake uh, in the government. But now, get this, this is just a shocker. <laughs> that happens. One little letter. That's all that was different. 124 years, this family had been running this business and they'd been doing it with amazing excellence. They had a great reputation in the community. But it had been reported uh, by a government bureau that Taylor and Sons is all wound up. And that's, uh, uh, in England, that would be a term that means that they are in bankruptcy. They were not solvent. But the actual company that had gone under was Taylor and Son, a new company that was a startup that had started and had fallen apart. As a result, Taylor and Sons, people saw uh, this investment opportunity. They pulled out their money. People who were actually working for them pulled their business away from them. It destroyed the company. The nation ended up having to pay a $9 million payout to help them get back going. Uh, it was an amazing mistake, all because one letter was missing. They didn't pay attention to detail. In about 150 years, they said, as the Bureau had been taking care of this, a mistake of this magnitude had not been accomplished. And the judge's words were, it's because a simple moment of vigilance can avoid it. He was paying attention to the details. Every little thought in Scripture matters. Do you believe that? Are you searching these scriptures for what God says or are you reading it on a daily basis just hoping that you can grab onto something and make your will his? Requires vigilance to look at what God is doing. But also developing spiritual perception is often a painful process. Robert F. Walsh, um, not a well-known guy, um, but he wrote his story for Reader's Digest, and he was talking about his favorite Christmas. And in his favorite Christmas, uh, he said he could remember uh, because he already had purchased a bike, and he was looking forward to getting some other things to go along with his bike at Christmas. During the course of the summer, uh, he and his dad had gone to a sale, and there was a guy that was selling this bike that looked basically brand new. He wanted $120 for it, and uh, Robert said, I only had $60, but I promised my dad that I would mow lawns and take care of stuff, and I would have it paid for by Christmas. So his dad fronted him the other $60, and out through the course of the rest of August, September, October, he says he was thankful that there was a lot of rain and, and, and just mild weather, so grass kept growing, and he kept mowing. And he was working and working and working. And it was finally at Thanksgiving where he had gotten the last little bit of dollars. And he was able to pay his dad off just in time to get some money in order to buy some gifts, some gifts at Christmas. Well, Christmas Day comes and they have all these different gifts. 
it was an orderly family, a military family, and he said we had little boxes that our gifts were lined out in, and so everybody knew that their gifts would fit into this little box that his mom had prepared, and they all got their gifts, and he said it was painful because my younger sister Liz and I, uh, being the littlest out of uh, six different kids, he's like, everybody would wait, and you would have to hear why they bought the gift and why they were thinking about it, and it felt like 45 minutes between opening gifts. He says, but when they looked in Liz's box at the very end, everybody else had gotten all their gifts and Liz didn't have a a gift. And his dad announces with great fanfare, but Liz, I actually have your gift in the kitchen. And so he wheels out a brand new bike. And he said, instead of being excited for Liz, my countenance fell. I was instantly, I wasn't seeing a bike. I was seeing a lawnmower. And all of this work that I had done, I've been working ever since August to pay off my used bike. You bought her a brand new bike. And she jumps on it and she says, Bobby, let's go for a ride. And he said, I was super frustrated. Wasn't happy for my sister. I was mad. I had worked and worked and worked and she gets this for free. He says, my dad wasn't the kind of guy that you looked at and said, hey, I'm kind of bothered by the gift choices. He said, I just swallowed it. But about three weeks later, my dad saw my countenance was still struggling and he pulled me aside. What's your problem, son? He's like, I worked for this bike and you just gave Liz this gift for free. And he says, Bobby, someday you're gonna understand that that gift to Liz wasn't just for her. He says this later, uh, during the course of that summer, them being the youngest two, he says, you always needed a compatriot to hide from the older brothers, somebody that you could run away with. He says, we ended up going to tennis. We ended up riding all over town. He says, places that Liz was not able to go before because she did not have a bike. But we took over the town. We did all of our stuff. And for years, we played together. And that bike was the entry fee for those two to grow close He closes his statement by saying, still, I wasn't smart enough to figure out what my dad meant until years later. That brand new bike was not a gift for Liz. It was literally a gift for me. He had given me the gift of my sister's company, the ability to stay together rather than drift apart in the face of my ability to travel. He gave me my best friend, and I'm forever thankful. One of the things that comes with maturity is a perception that makes you aware that sometimes God does things in ways that will grow you for your good. And the greatest gift that he could give is Jesus Christ. Sometimes what you and I want is something different. We want something more elaborate. We want something more profound in our minds. But there is no gift more profound than Christ and the spirit that he gives you when you receive him. But receiving that gift, waiting for that gift, requires maturity, requires confidence, it requires vigilance, it requires perception. The question I have for you this morning is what are you waiting for? Simeon was waiting for the Lord. We're going to participate in the Lord's table here this morning, but that question is twofold. It may be that you are here and you're just visiting And the question is, what are you waiting for? Why not give your life to Christ? We're going to spend some time, and I want to make sure if uh, you have not received the elements on the way in, just put your hands up and the men will get you uh, one of those. Uh, Leave your hands up and the guys will be ready to bring those to you. 
But this is what we do at this moment. Uh, We, as believers, celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If you've been listening to these truths about Jesus, the scriptures declare this. What, What do you need to do to be saved? The scripture just says you need to believe. When you believe, you have eternal life. Amen? So if you put your faith in Christ, these elements are for you to use as a reminder. What we do before we participate in this, though, believer, is we take a few moments to evaluate our own hearts. Is there anything between us and the Lord? Is there anything right now that we need to confess? And we take these moments, a moment where we are reminded that not only Jesus came and died, was buried, rose again on the third day for us, but that he is coming again, and we are waiting, like Simeon, we are waiting as thoughtful believers. He tells us that we are to take these moments as we prepare to remember and evaluate our hearts. I'm going to ask you as AJ comes to do that, I'm going to pray. But in these moments as we sing and we are reminded of what it means to remember Jesus Christ, to wait for his soon return, Evaluate your own heart and lift up anything that you need to take care of to the Lord. At that moment, you confess. God says he takes care of it. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would help us. Help us as we think about Simeon and his waiting. Help us to be mindful of the fact that uh, we're not only waiting for the soon return of Christ, but we are living right now with you. Father, in the course of living our everyday lives, waiting for Christ's return, there are things that we can take on or participate in that will not honor you. And so right now, we just take a moment and we confess. We ask you to help us, Father, to forgive us of those things that we've been doing, to help us lay those things at your feet and walk away from them forever but also to know that we are forgiven and as we take these elements to celebrate, that forgiveness is because of what Jesus did, not what we can do. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts, help us to know as we take these elements that we are clean before you. Help us to live all of our days waiting with pure hearts. And as we consider this, I pray that we would experience not only forgiveness, but a joy as we take these elements. Help us now in Christ's name, amen. If you'd familiarize yourself with uh, the elements there, we'll have the bread on one side and the juice on the other. Uh, Open that side that has the bread. And scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 says this, for I received from the Lord that which I also pass on to you, that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you'd open up the other side, the scripture continues. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What the scripture declares 
As for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity we have to take these elements to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but also to be challenged as we listen to the story of Simeon, somebody who was looking forward to seeing the Messiah. Father, help us also as believers right now to look forward to that promised return. Christ is coming again. Father, I pray that you would help us to be energized by that, to be eager for the return of Christ. Pray that you would help us to live lives that are focused on you, prepared for that moment. And I pray, Father, as you give us a testimony, one that is eager to see Christ, but also that lives in that right way, that you would draw others to salvation, that we'd be able to proclaim that good news until we see him face to face. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.